0: Coming up on this week's webcast
1: The world is moving on very, very quickly, and banks better keep up. You can no longer do business simply via a fixed phone line. Uh, clients want to do business using tools such as WhatsApp. Uh, if, as a bank, you don't give your regulated personnel the tools to do business in a regulatory compliance way, that compliant way, then there is a significant risk that things like this will happen. It's a double-edged sword. So I think if you are building out surveillance
2: capability or you're in the surveillance uh, game today, you've got to balance those two things. Um, Increasing complexity, which drives down volume, but also making sure you continue to get the fundamentals right.
3: Can we detect better risks, or can we be more efficient on the risk detection by leveraging AI and machine learning? So it goes together, better risk identification and be more efficient on the disposition process, and we can leverage AI and machine learning on both areas.
0: This gets really, really serious. All those people that were named as looking as WhatsApps in compliance, you know, they would be out of the industry if we started thinking about applying the accountability frameworks that are in these other jurisdictions.
3: Welcome
0: to Redcast. 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 Redcast, shining a light on challenges and opportunities for digital compliance. Hello, welcome back. Season two, episode 16. I'm P.J. D.J. Marino, CEO and founder of JWG. And we've been digging into surveillance in advance of our conference coming up in November. And I'm really pleased to have this expert panel together, which will introduce themselves in a second. I would like to give you a quick intro and and perspective over the past decade or so, Um, but let's start from the 27th of September, because that's when 16 firms got nearly $2 billion in fines for uh, record-keeping failures in relation to how they were using their communication tools like WhatsApp. Um, the, The CFTC has declared the evasive communications practices of the past to be over. Uh, but this stands really in, in stark contrast to the FCA's Market Watch 69 earlier this year, that talked about failings in policies and procedural gaps and the scope of market conduct and how it was being considered in some of the largest firms. And this is not a new problem, right? Firms have been struggling with their ecoms voice and trade data surveillance for years. The pandemic really forced a lot of those issues front and center. And you know, despite all the analogies we can make to minority report, we don't yet have a, re- have a reference technology stack in this decade that really stands up to scrutiny. Um, management teams are, are, are been struggling with what we've described as a three-legged stool of surveillance policy. You know, we have to let people make money. Generating alpha in the market is really what firms are all about. Uh, we have to control conduct risk, and we need to make sure the employees' well-being, is taken care of, and, and that all puts a very uh, difficult spin on what exactly you're doing to watch everything within the firm, and how do you deploy your AI, and how do you look at the data privacy, and frankly, what's the, what's the culture and environment like for those that are working here in, the, in this industry? So, in our view, either firms or regulators somehow have to get more detailed in how they're thinking about solving these problems if we're going to declare this era of evasive practices to be over. Um, I think we need a more sensible conversation than that. And what I'm really looking forward to in the run-up to our conference is figuring out what the agenda should be for next year. So without further ado, let me introduce, uh, I'll ask our panelists to introduce themselves. Paul, can you please go first?
1: Yeah, hi, PJ. Hello there, Uh, Paul Crullo-Phillips. I'm responsible for uh, surveillance globally at SOCGEM. Thank you, Richard.
2: Thanks, pj richard bain i'm responsible for compliance at global link at state street which is a suite of trading platforms
3: thank you and jerome hi good morning good afternoon my name is jerome lambert um, i'm with nice Actimize, and i look after the the financial market uh, solutions for nice Actimize in the in the region i'm based in london
0: excellent well thank you guys for all taking the time today First question is, what do good surveillance policies really look like today? And Richard, you're no stranger to Redcast. You've been on a couple of times before, spoken about things like the, the FMSB and the standards in this space and where things are going. What, what's your perspective going into next year?
2: Well, I think if I look at you know most of the, uh, the feedback that's coming from regulators, whether it be um, through the way of guidance, market watches, 69, that you make reference to, um, or even enforcement, uh, as we see recently with Citigroup. Um, I think what that tells me, PGA is that where most firms are tripping themselves up is actually around the fundamentals of their surveillance and their compliance programs. Um, and for me, it's really about uh, what I describe as sort of the, uh, the four pillars of compliance, and that is risk identification, risk assessment, risk monitoring, um, and risk reporting. And just to touch on a couple of those, so when we talk about risk identification, it's really, really critical firms are focused on that risk identification process that targets the specific products, the services, and the types of business operations that they're involved in. Um, you no know one size fits all in that respect, and so it's really important that firms are prepared to kick the meat on the board. Um, in terms of risk monitoring, um, actually, it's it's really about monitoring the behaviours of risk that are inherent within your business, but also the performance of your surveillance capability in terms of its calibration um, and making sure that you're adjusting that uh, as the, the environment around you evolves. Um, and probably, I think what's really, really important, all of this has to be driven by um, uh, a risk assessment um, and an effective risk assessment and if you're finding that the risk assessment that you're executing at a firm level is not driving changes to your surveillance program or your control frameworks then that probably indicates there's a disconnect between the assessment the quality of that and actually the 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 surveillance uh, and control framework that you have in place that should evolve based on the risk assessment outcomes so um for me it's again about getting back to fundamentals And, and what i would also say is you're right pj there's some really good guidance out there from ESMA, uh, from the Financial Market Standards Board who did a, a really impressive behavioural cluster analysis in 2018 and in 2022. Like, There's a lot of resources out there to help compliance and surveillance professionals in this space. Um, it's probably been underutilised, and so I would encourage stakeholders to look at that and to, to use that to influence their um, the, the compliance programmes.
0: So so the, the, the tools are out there. There's some common discussion about what good looks like, but it's the translation of that into the policy for the individuals within the firms so that's the challenge?
2: Absolutely, yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think it's also true that policies probably don't go far enough in their own right. I mean, if we look at some of the things from the CFTC uh, recently, one of the kind of key observations that I took from that was that Many of the people who were using WhatsApp are, are failing to meet those internal policy requirements Were the senior managers of the firm. Now, if the senior managers of the firm are not getting the tone from the top and the messaging right, then the use of those applications can become more pervasive throughout, um, throughout the organization. So, yes, I mean, I think there are a lot of frameworks around how we can improve e voice and trade surveillance. Um, but also, if I think go back to again some fundamentals, tone from the top is one that's you know we'll, we'll all be familiar with within financial services, um, and making sure that we get that right, and, and we're communicating effectively, not just what the policy position is, um, but that we are communicating why that policy position exists, what's the what's the intent behind it, and that you know senior managers are really showing to be living and uh, embodiment of those policy requirements.
0: Paul, how do you come at this? I mean, you've had a great experience. You're now at a giant French bank, but you were a giant UK bank before that. I mean, there are lots of cultural issues, and but what are what are the differences that you you perceive right now for these surveillance policies?
1: Yeah, culture is. I mean, look, culture is an aspect for every compliance conversation you you want to have, and and it's it's one here too. I mean, I I think, you know, what the the current US scenario points to is the fact that the the world is moving on very, very quickly and banks better keep up. Control frameworks better keep up. Uh, You know, I think obviously there was inevitably going to be some post the pandemic, some sort of regulatory focus on uh, how working from home, trading from home, uh, the use of these collaborative devices has impacted the industry. Uh, and its compliance with regulatory requirements. And I think perhaps for those of us in surveillance, I think we possibly would have put some money on this being one area of focus, perhaps broader in the industry, but we we were expecting a little bit more focus on the the sort of aspects of controlling employees whilst sat at home. Um, But I think, uh, as I say, I think what I really see in respect of these fines, and what I really see as being uh, the responsibility of banks, and, and definitely the messaging we've been giving internally is look, you, you know, the world has moved on. You can no longer do business simply via a fixed phone line. Uh, clients want to do business using tools such as WhatsApp. Uh, if, as a bank, you don't give your regulated personnel the tools to do business in a regulatory compliance way, that compliant way, then there is a significant risk that things like this will happen. So I, I think there there are two aspects. There's definitely the cultural aspect, um, but there there comes a point I think where that the the, the business. Uh, And commercial aspects uh, outweigh the cultural aspects, whereby if your clients want to do business in a certain way, um, and uh, your business is being forced to obviously push to make money for the bank, inevitably, there is a huge tension there. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm perhaps giving people the benefit of the doubt in this instance, and I think there were perhaps some individuals at BAML that should not be given the the benefit of the doubt uh, from from reading the notice. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think this was an inevitability that this was going to happen, an inevitability that these breaches were going to take place. And I think, again, uh, a key aspect for me to come out of these U.S. fines is that Policies are one thing. You have to have your policies. You have to have your fundamentals in place, as Richard was saying. But that's not enough. It doesn't meet regulatory expectations. You cannot simply trust individuals to do the right thing and trust the world not to change. We have to be constantly evolving. And our technology solutions and our controls around those solutions need to maintain pace with the commercial environment.
0: Well, is it maintain pace or is it leapfrog to another generation and i guess that's that's what i'm trying to get mm-hmm. clear in my own head because there seems to be a regulatory expectations that the okay the firms either to stop this entirely or put the kind of tooling in but there's a, a, a sort of a muddled understanding even amongst the compliance staff that were called out in those notices for using this these platforms they shouldn't have been mm-hmm. using
1: so well, what i think I, look i mean I, again i'm going to give a, a slightly idealistic point of view uh, and I'm going to give the regulators the benefit of the doubt, which I've probably, probably be sacked as a result of, of, of doing so. But, um, um, but look, I mean, generally regulators, uh, if you have highlighted a risk, if you have a clear and obvious plan of action in place by which you're going to deal with that risk, generally regulators are happy with that. Yeah, Occasionally, there, you, there will be some sort of punishment, comparatively minor punishment, because um, uh, yeah, the issue arose in the first place, the gap arose in the first place. But generally, if you have proactively identified, made plans to remediate, you're in a good place in the regulators' books. I think here the problem is, as Richard has said, fundamental cultural problem and as we know in the US the supervisory framework is a key sort of regulatory tool that clearly broke down in this respect um, and um, yeah I think just the simple fact that yes the world has moved on but firms have failed to invest in the tools required to continue doing business and had limited plans to do so uh, and now Again, the argument on the other side is that actually, up until very recently, the technology uh, to capture some of the communications via some of these devices hasn't existed. It does now, um, so you know lots of lots of nuances in in my very simplistic uh, viewpoint that, that I haven't brought out. But I think you, you know the the key is when you identify an issue as compliance as an organisation deal with it don't don't push it under the carpet don't expect it never to uh, to come back and bite you, because ultimately it always will in the end it especially will if you're if you're sat in the us
0: yeah so jerome obviously we're, from where <laughs> you sit you see lots of different perspectives what how does how does the uh the, this current view square with what you're hearing from the market yeah, sure. We, we
3: <clears throat> sorry, we, yeah, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, that policies are, are not enough, uh, Paul. And I guess you're, you're right. Very, very, very quickly, we need to plug technology uh, around the, these policies in order to deliver maybe the the outcome that uh, the regulatory bodies are expecting. The, if we, if we just step back a little bit, you know, the, um, the recent um, guidelines that we've seen, so Market Watch 69, or maybe also the, the consumer duty, this is very specific to the FCA, but I guess the common thread across these, um, these uh, two recent uh, uh, guidelines or newsletters, depending on how we want to call them, it is about bringing more, um, more transparency uh, through the trade process or the advisory process, and also deliver better risk identification, and these are two key areas for us as a technology provider. How can we bring more transparency, and how can we better identify risks? Because if we look at the market watch 69, it is all about you know um, improving the ability to detect market abuse, uh, the ability to better. Um, you know to augment your detection capabilities by having better calibration across asset classes. so it's very technical and in fact what they are expecting it's more more sophisticated approach to detect uh, market abuse. so that falls under the category of delivering better risk identification most being more sophisticated. and um, and if you if we look at the um, the consumer duty because we start having more and more inquiries from our clients on how they can um, deliver you know the or comply with the uh, the upcoming consumer duty guidelines consumer duty guidelines it's it's really a cultural reset and i guess we talked about culture also as an introduction and it's very interesting because um the the consumer duty clearly highlight the fact that you need to deliver good outcomes to the to the to the customers or to the retail investors and you need to provide evidences So again, transparency is key into these um, into these new guidelines, and and I guess when we start touching these two areas, like how do you prove that you deliver a good outcome? How do you make sure that you provide the best advice, the best possible advice? Very quickly, surveillance technologies will have to be, um, you know, will, will 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 be at play. I would say. So, and we've <laughs> seen more and more inquiries about bringing these data points together. So the communication data where advisory take place, the transaction data where of course uh, trading take place and bringing them together in order to detect um, and identify risk, true risk or risky situations uh, above and beyond the traditional approach. <clears throat> And I guess this this is where we are this is where we are focusing a lot from a technology perspective in, in order to deliver uh, outcomes in these two areas, better risk identification and more transparency, because we believe this is also what the the the, the, the regulatory bodies are, are expecting.
0: Well they they are and they aren't, right? There's this three-legged stool where they're not lined up. So completely agree that for culture and accountability and you know and generation of alpha in the market yeah that all makes sense but what about the employee you know what 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 about when i leave work and i you know i, I don't want to be surveilled anymore or you know i'm doing something at my lunch hour what, what, what where is that in the conversation and, and can we can these new platforms really protect the employee equation
3: oh it's true that we see uh, we see different requirements depending on the jurisdictions where we are operating uh, so uh, in uh, you know in the mirror, the uh, you know the, um, the, the, the 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 we have countries like germany maybe or switzerland where they, they look after you know the protection of the employee in a slightly different way but above and ab- above all i guess uh, the as soon as there are some um, you know transactions happening through communication channels Uh, It belongs to the bank because potentially it it carries risks. So when you leave as an employee, if there is an investigation which is involving some of the transactions that you've done over the past, I don't know, two, three, five or seven years, the data will be there. The data needs to be uh, retrieved. Uh, The data can be, must be searchable because most likely you may have to hand over in case of uh, investigation, you may have to hand over this data to the regulator. So we there, there is always this conflict between, you know, the, uh, the freedom of the employee to, um, you know, to, to use communication channels for personal, I mean, they are discussing about, you know, personal topics and the need for the bank to, to monitor these channels and these employees. And, and we see that these conflicts are really dependent on the, the, the local countries or the local jurisdictions that we are operating on, This is what we've seen at least, yeah.
0: So, so Paul, let's come back to you on that because you you have a very global remit. What 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 what's your perspective on on how that feeds through that the, the, these differences feed through into the challenges for next year? Well, I was I was going to
1: comment on on that point first of all. I mean, I think there's there's a couple of points there. I mean, absolutely, we do face fundamental jurisdictional differences in terms of what you can and can't surveil and how you how you should and shouldn't surveil. I think. Um, Notwithstanding specific jurisdictional regulation, there is kind of the overarching ethical question of uh, 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 of what is good surveillance, what is too much? Uh, when are you impinging upon employees' private lives? You know, I think there are some relatively simplistic solutions out there, right? But but they are solutions that have been eroded to some extent because we've been trying, as an industry, to save costs. Yeah um you know i still remember a day when we had two phones one was a business phone and one was a personal phone yeah uh we've we've gone towards byod bring your own device we've gone towards a single phone and that's easier on the the jacket pocket the cut of the suit but it inevitably starts to bring us uh bring private communications closer to business communications which you know from from uh an employee angle is perhaps not where we want to be. And from a privacy angle is not where we want to be. So I think, again, uh, there are technology solutions out there to solve some of these problems. We need to, as an industry, invest in them. Uh, and sometimes the old ways might be <laughs> might be the better way to, to preserve privacy. Um, but in terms of the, the, the challenges for next year, look, I mean, in the comms space, uh, I think it's been a constant challenge for the past few years, right? I mean, it's, it's a space that's evolved very, very quickly. Um, I think there is, uh, unlike the trade space where most banks are fairly well, but have relatively mature uh, technology-driven surveillance processes, it's a more fragmented market on the com side. Uh, I think there are some banks still struggling with voice, yeah. um, uh, translation, et cetera, et cetera. That's still a challenge. And on top of that, you layer, yes, all of these collaborative devices, the, the fact that we are having meetings such as this one on the likes of Zoom, Microsoft Teams, et cetera, et cetera. The integration of those devices uh, into surveillance frameworks data into surveillance frameworks uh will continue to be a challenge it's that that concept of keeping up number one and the concept number concept number two that, that we are utilizing for business communication tools that were never really meant to be operating in a regulatory environment and uh, you know i think there is some industry movement growing now in terms of some of the larger vendors, which will remain nameless at this point, uh, that really some of these tools need to become, uh, it needs to become a lot easier to make these tools compliant Mm -hmm. in the record keeping and surveillance sense. So so that will continue to be a challenge, Um, uh, as will Privacy yeah, uh, and uh, I, mean, I think uh, in terms of uh, the way that is developing in Europe, uh, without going into too much detail, I think we, we are entering into uh, a year of some very interesting discussions around how we should share data cross-border, um, and uh, we have some perhaps entirely impractical uh, rules and regulations coming our way that we will, we will have to deal with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that data collection has is, is, is always been a, a giant bugbear in, in this space. Richard, one other bugbear has always been the processing of that data, and, and I know that you, you've spoken about this in the past. But what about AI? Because we, we now have separate rules coming in, saying, you know, what what, what are all the, the the good characteristics of AI, and how do we know we can control that? Because you can't do this stuff without natural language processing and machine learning, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've always taken a relatively conservative view on, on, on that. And, and let me explain a little bit how, how I've got there, right? So I read a, a, a global industry survey earlier this year, um, and there's about 170 compliance and surveillance professionals that responded to it, or 170 firms, rather. The 75% of those were either implementing or had fully implemented AI and machine learning into their surveillance technology. Now, I understand the need to do that to come to the one of the legs on the on the stool right it's about alpha most of these most tier one firms are spending in excess of 50 million a year on their their overall surveillance capability. Right and there's a a Paul will probably know this, right there's a level of pressure to concentrate and reduce costs there if we can Um, and uh, certainly there's a real lack of appetite to increase surveillance spend Um, so. We're trying to do more with either a maintained or, or a lower budget and surveillance operations, whilst technology has come on leaps and bounds. they are still largely volume factories in terms of the folks on getting through volume rather than high quality alerts. So this, ch- this directional change towards more AI and machine learning is designed to sort of reduce that volume and create higher, higher um, quality alerts. Um, Where they can become a a sort of value sort of um, based surveillance operation rather than the volume based surveillance operation. Now, one of the challenges I see with that is, and again, it comes back to the fundamentals. If you've got all of these complex surveillance capabilities in place, like AI, machine learning, if you're not, you know, got strict model risk management uh, parameters around. uh, uh, controls around how you monitor those parameters, how you adjust and maintain those parameters, if you're not doing the fundamentals that I spoke about earlier because you're spending an awful lot of time on, the, on that complexity and, and the requirements to maintain that complexity that's what's going to trip you up right? You know, I don't see anything in the regulatory space where the regulators came in and said you've got AI machine learning and that's great You know, and here's a big tick for that what they've come in and said, you, you you focus so much on that, you're not getting the fundamentals right, so that's where we're going to find fault in your program. Now, um, it's a double-edged sword, so I think if you are building out surveillance capability, or you're in the surveillance uh, game today, you've got to balance those two things. Um, increasing complexity, which drives down volume, but also making sure you continue to get the fundamentals right And if you if you lose sight of the right balance between those two things, the likelihood is you're going to run into a problem at some point in the future mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. a great great way to characterize it. Jerome, what, what what's your perspective quickly because we're trying to move to wrap up now.
3: Sure, I guess what, what, what Richard said is very true. So you need, uh, you need the step one, you need to have this fundamental in place. And when we are talking about just the recording, right? The capture, these are the fundamentals, right? So before surveilling anything, you obviously need to capture these, these interactions. So make sure that you get your, your step one or your fundamental in place before using AI and machine learning to detect um, risks. So it goes without saying. And from a technology perspective, technology is there. Yes, we can capture uh, WhatsApp, WeChat, mobiles and all forms of uh, voice and, and e-communications these days. Now, if we move into the next step, into the surveillance step, this is where indeed we can clearly leverage AI and machine learning with some of the key conditions that Richard mentioned. Explainability, of course, uh, we need to be able, we must be able to explain where AI and machine learning is used. Is it within the detection logic? Is it within the maybe case management and in investigation? Because we believe we can still deliver a lot, I mean, leverage AI and machine learning to facilitate the investigation process done by the analysts. So it go, it, it, it comes after the detection. And of course, the detection itself, can we detect better risks or can we be more efficient on the risk detection by leveraging AI and machine learning? identifying anomalies, spotting outliers, uh, identifying profile deviation. This type of, this type of indicators, these type of risk indicators can clearly um, be derived from AI and machine learning techniques. So it goes together better risk identification and be more efficient on the disposition process and we can leverage AI and machine learning on both areas.
0: Yeah, that's, that, that's a great point. I think that they'll, all fits very nicely together. So let's move to your closing statements. Uh, really, you know, uh, for you, Paul, what, what problems will you want to be talking about solving at our conference? What's the big takeaway this year for you? Well, I I think it all comes down to, again, the world is changing,
1: PJ. We we have to change as compliance functions uh, to, to, I mean, Richard put it perfectly, I think, exactly. We have to be sufficiently on top of new technology. We have to be utilising new technology to be competitive, but also to be able to control the new technology that's being used from a business perspective Um, at the same time, Data, uh, you know, is becoming a huge part of every aspect of what we do, every aspect of what the bank does. Uh, again, back to Richard's point, the fundamental framework you have in place in respect of your data. Um, you can have all the technology in the world, but if your data's wrong, that technology won't work. So I think, I think Richard's point about the balance is a, is a key one. Um, and I think, yeah, looking at how the world is going to change and we are going to change with it, um, and looking at some of the data issues uh, that need to still be resolved uh, as an industry, are probably two of the main areas we'll we'll focus on.
0: Fantastic, thank you, Richard.
2: Yeah, well, PGI met with a, a, a prominent US regulator recently uh, on this topic. Uh, And they said to me, your surveillance capability needs to be able to look around corners. And my interpretation of that is, we have to think about how we integrate across the broader financial crimes surveillance infrastructure. I speak to colleagues in AML and sanctions and market surveillance, and they're all faced with the same challenges. They're not unique to any one of those pillars but rarely are those pillars integrated from a technology and from an infrastructure standpoint, which means you can't actually have a horizontal look across risk. And we definitely see intersects between, say, money laundering uh, and capital markets and market abuse, for instance. So it makes sense for us to do that. I think if you're the head of surveillance today and you want to make your board happy going forward, um, one way that you're going to be able to drive down cost and create optimization within the surveillance program and, and sort of tick an alpha box if you like is through that integration you'll reduce cost and complexity um, and what you'll also do is you'll improve capability and a shared capability across the different financial crimes compliance um, capabilities so I think that's a, a trajectory that many firms haven't taken and I, th- and I would encourage firms to think think more deeply about that.
0: Fantastic point, thank you. And last but not least, Jerome. Sure. I
3: guess for, for for us next year, I mean, as a as a technology provider, of course, we we want to keep you know um, uh, helping our clients in this uh, uh, in this journey, right? So delivering the right building blocks from from the capture of the communication up to the surveillance of the communications and the transactions um and also we we keep innovating and i guess what you've just mentioned richard uh, about these these new uh, risk areas that are now uh, important for you like mixing or the intersection between your your trading business and your aml requirements so this is also an area where where we we see more and more tractions and leveraging as a, again as a technology provider leveraging our AML capabilities together with our trade surveillance capabilities in order to detect these new risks, AML in capital market, and we know already that there is topologies that we need to that we need to deliver. So it's also an area for us which is important for next year. So innovating to deliver more and more risk coverage, and you know, and keep working with our with our clients to deliver this end-to-end uh, uh, journey from recording to surveillance. That, that, that's
0: excellent set of summaries, which I'll try to encapsulate as you need, need to balance how you do what you do today well, but you also need to expand it and think about how then you can play it across more areas with a broader broader solution. Um, I don't think that gets us to minority report. I, I'm not sure we want to get there. W- what I do know is accountability is going to play a key role in all this. And the last episode we just did on the uh, new SEER regime in Ireland kind of brought this home to me. You know, the board is now going to be personally responsible, even the non-executives, you know, for, for this kind of behavior. And you know, as we have been in the UK, as the Hong Kong and, and, and other other regimes have also put in, and it's that accountability that really starts to make this conversation bite. And I suspect one of the reasons why the U.S. went forward with these kind of fines is they had to send a message without having that accountability framework in place because they don't have that over there. You know, this gets really, really serious. All those people that were named as looking as what what's apps in compliance, you know, they would be out of the industry if we started thinking about applying the accountability frameworks that are in these other jurisdictions. So, I think it, it's a much more evolved and adult conversation, but very unnuanced, depending on on where you're coming from. I'm really looking forward to pulling out more of this at the conference on the 9th and 10th of of November. Uh, You'll check the links for uh, registration details, but it is online for six months once you register because we know it's a busy time of year. So thank you very much to our panelists. It's been an excellent discussion today. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us wherever you found us on, on your podcast platform, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. You can download the
3: podcast via Spotify, Apple, and Google. But also I'd encourage people to come to the JWG website, which as hopefully you will know is jwg-it.eu. Go to the Intelligence Hub and create your bespoke library. This is Redcast.
0: Shining a light on challenges and opportunities for digital compliance.